Hi, everybody, and welcome to Producing the Beatles, the podcast dedicated to exploring the untold story of producer George Martin's revolutionary collaboration with John, Paul, George, and Ringo. I'm your host, Jason Krupa, and today we'll be taking a look at the piano solo for In My Life, and we'll start looking into how George Martin developed the production techniques that he would put to such remarkable use with the Beatles. For about the first 18 months of their time together, from the middle of 1962 until the end of 1963, Martin was concerned primarily with tidying up the Beatles' compositions and capturing the excitement of their live performances on tape. He used a little studio trickery, some of which we'll talk about today, but nothing that really transformed the songs. In late 1963, Martin switched from using two-track tape with the Beatles to four-track tape, which allowed him more control over recording and mixing, and which afforded the Beatles themselves more room to expand their ideas through overdubs. Throughout 1964, as Lennon and McCartney sharpened their compositional powers, they began to explore the possibilities of having those extra tracks on the recording tape, and Martin continued to gently shape the songs when necessary. Martin's suggestion of a string quartet on Yesterday in early 1965 hinted at new possibilities. The unusual way Martin would record the piano solo for In My Life also pointed toward new ideas, but he certainly wasn't the first to use this particular recording trick. In tracing the steps to get to In My Life, we'll encounter Les Paul, Alvin and the Chipmunks, and even take a trip to Russia with James Bond. And as we closely examine that famous solo, we'll discover how Martin put this technique to use in a way that was very much his own. So join us as we tell the story of George Martin's wind-up piano on this episode of Producing the Beatles. We begin on October 18th, 1965, when the Beatles taped the rhythm track for In My Life, which consisted of two guitars, bass, and drums. Then, at the same session, John, Paul, and George overdubbed two tracks of harmony vocals. There are places I remember all my life Though some have changed, some forever not for better They left the middle part open for a solo of some kind, and evidence on the tape suggests that they attempted to overdub a guitar solo. No recording exists of what this attempt might have been, but at the same session, Martin overdubbed a solo, which he played on organ. This is essentially a rough draft of what would eventually end up on the record, with the parallel structure in place, but with a few details yet to be refined. Martin ultimately discarded the idea of using the organ, and four days later, on October 22nd, he recorded the keeper solo for the song on piano, while the Beatles were on a lunch break. 
He made a few minor changes and added a few accents, but he didn't do a straightforward recording of the part. Instead, he slowed the tape down to half speed and played the solo an octave lower, which sounded like this. When it was played back at normal speed, it took on an entirely different character. The enduring explanation for Martin recording the solo at half speed is that it was too difficult for him to play at normal speed. And Martin, in his great modesty, went on record several times in later years reinforcing this explanation. But this paints an unflattering and, I believe, inaccurate picture of Martin's ability at the keyboard, and it also ignores Martin's history with this recording technique. On the first point, regarding Martin's keyboard skills, he started playing piano when he was about five or six years old, and as a teenager, he took the initiative to pay for piano lessons out of his own pocket to improve his skills. He was leading a four-piece jazz band at the time, but he wanted to learn Chopin. In 1941, he won a talent contest performing the classical style piece you're hearing now, the Warsaw Concerto, from the then popular film Dangerous Moonlight. Later, after the war, he studied at the Guildhall School of Music, and he envisioned himself becoming a serious classical composer, a Rachmaninoff III, as he would put it. Flash forward to the late 1965 TV special, The Music of Lennon and McCartney, for which Martin was musical director, and you can see him play a pretty nimble run of the keyboard. Look it up online. He appears at about the two minute mark. So while George Martin may not have been a virtuoso, he certainly wasn't a slouch at the keyboard either. To look a little deeper, I sat down with organist and pianist Jesse Reeks to talk specifically about the In My Life piano solo. My name is Jesse Reeks. I'm the full-time organist at St. Louis Cathedral here in New Orleans. I'm also a pianist. I have my degree from Loyola University and I was raised on a lot of Beatles music and jazz. So what are you hearing in this composition? This solo is written with a Baroque mindset, and I think in order to play it accurately, you definitely have to have considerable training, especially up to speed. I definitely see some influence of Bach's music with these figures. It recalls the Bach Toccata and Fugue in D minor, etc. When I listen to this, especially the halftime recording, it seems like someone who's had a lot of piano training. I'm not sure how much at the time he had kept up his piano playing day to day, but the way he played it, it was very even, and it's definitely someone who's trained on piano and maybe even harpsichord. So let's say, hypothetically, that Martin was able to play the piano solo at speed without any tape manipulation. What would that have sounded like? Here's Jesse performing the solo in just that way. Notice that it doesn't have that Baroque harpsichord-like tone. 
By recording the solo at half speed, Martin changed the sound of the instrument and created a part that catches the ear. In essence, he made the piano not a piano. Here's Jesse Reeks again. I do think there's a lot of evidence that he intended this to sound like a harpsichord, the reason behind him doubling the speed of the recording. For one thing, he plays all the notes at the same volume, which back in the days of the harpsichord, you didn't have touch sensitivity where you could change the volume with your touch. Also, he doesn't use any sustain pedal whatsoever, which is another thing the harpsichord didn't have. And basically just his articulation was informed by the Baroque style of music and harpsichord in particular. So I would think that he did this intentionally to get the sound he wanted because, for example, these trill figures, they're technically called mordants. The way he plays them, plays them very quickly in the half-speed recording, so when it's doubled, it's superhuman, and I think it gives kind of a fun and whimsical feeling to the solo. I think the way that I recorded the recording at the original register and volume would not have been up to George Martin's standards technically because when you play something really meticulously at half speed you can really get all the nuance and detail whereas the downward scale part at the end you know it it takes some going over and each note isn't perfectly aligned with the next. This idea of manipulating sounds is part of the larger tapestry of Martin's work in using the recording studio as a creative workshop, and as we'll see as this series progresses, it became part of how the Beatles approached music making themselves as they got deeper into their own career. Martin had already established a working method for the studio, so when the Beatles came along, his method gradually, naturally, became theirs. In this particular case, we're talking about something called half-speed recording, and later, variable-speed recording, Verispeed for short. Both of these techniques involve taping a performance at one speed, and then playing it back at a different speed to alter the sound. Martin had actually been doing this kind of thing for years, and some of the proof is right there on the Beatles' own records. So even if performance speed was the issue, there's considerable evidence that Martin's choice to record the solo at half speed was well within his production playbook. But before we get to that, we're going to wind the tape back to the 1940s. Winding the tape back is actually, physically, incredibly important to our story, because it's with the introduction of magnetic recording tape in the 1940s that these kinds of manipulations became possible. Before that, recording was done on wax discs, straight from the studio to the microphone to the disc. No editing, no mixing, no multiple tracks for overdubbing, and certainly nothing like computers or Pro Tools. The emphasis was on the performance. But tape, as an object, could be edited, slowed down, speeded up, and if you had more than one tape machine, you could do overdubbing by recording from one tape to another. The inventor of the solid-body electric guitar, Les Paul, saw the creative possibilities of this medium very early on. By the mid-1940s, he had begun overdubbing his guitar parts at different speeds, so when they were played back at normal speed, the layers of different textures created an unusual sound. Something was off, but in a compelling, ear-catching way. Here's a bit of Les Paul's 1951 recording of How High the Moon with vocalist Mary Ford, and several guitar parts recorded at different speeds. Somewhere 
as you might imagine, there was a good deal of potential for novelty as well, and probably the one example of half-speed recording we're all familiar with is Alvin and the Chipmunks, who first appeared in 1958 with the Chipmunk song. That record earned three Grammy Awards and spawned numerous other records, cartoons, and movies featuring these characters, which are still going today. Martin was fully aware of this half-speed technique early on in his career, and he certainly produced his fair share of novelty recordings. Following on the example of the Chipmunks, in 1960, Martin included some half-speed vocals on comedian Charlie Drake's very corny send-up of Volare. And so insomnia, even up to 1962, when he met the Beatles, Martin was only a moderately successful producer of commercial hit records, but he wanted bigger hits, and he experimented freely in order to craft sounds that would distinguish his productions in the marketplace. This practice didn't just disappear once he became a hit producer, either. In 1963, when Martin practically owned the British charts, having the number one record 38 out of the 52 weeks of that year, he used this half-speed recording trick three notable times. Martin would come to call this trick wind-up piano, and its first appearance in 1963 is on the Beatles' recording of Misery. Martin taped a half-speed overdub as a substitute for George Harrison's thin-sounding guitar lines. Here's an early take of the song's bridge with George's guitar. And here's the final version with Martin's piano. He also used it to mask Billy J. Kramer's uncertain vocal pitch on Do You Want to Know a Secret, recorded in March of 1963, and which reached number one in June. Here's take one, showing the problem part. And here's how Martin covered it up on the final record. I'm in love with you. Note that both those overdubs are made to sound very punchy through production, and they're treated with a generous amount of Abbey Road reverb. In September 1963, Martin produced the theme song for the new James Bond movie, From Russia With Love, and he used this trick yet again. This time, he recorded what Abbey Road nicknamed a jangle box. This is an upright piano made to produce a jangly honky-tonk sound. Minus the heavy production, this half-speed technique rendered the sound of the jangle box somewhere between a balalaika and a hammered dulcimer when played back at normal speed. Here's the instrumental backing track of the song so you can hear the effect clearly. Listen in the left channel.
This tells us that Martin knew exactly what this technique did to the sound of the piano. It was no simple gimmick, but an artfully designed effect intended to fool the ear. He used the same simple wind-up technique again in early 1964, but this time it was in service to getting all the notes of a fast performance perfectly aligned, as Jesse Reeks put it earlier. On the solo for A Hard Day's Night, Martin played the piano at half speed in a duet with George Harrison on guitar, which sounded like this. And then on playback at full speed, it sounded like this. This brings us back to In My Life. Martin's punchy keyboard flourishes, his wind-up piano, gave way to the more subtle effect in From Russia With Love and the solo for In My Life. In both these examples, he's not just altering the tone of the piano, he's making it sound like another instrument entirely. You can look at In My Life in particular as something of a microcosm of Martin's work with the Beatles. In using Bach and the Baroque period as the inspiration for his solo, he drew from his classical background, and in manipulating the tape speed for effect, he drew on the modernist idea of the studio as an instrument in its own right. The remarkable thing isn't that he just combined these two approaches, but that he did so seamlessly in the framework of a three-minute pop song. Martin and the Beatles didn't stop here, of course. Once they discovered variable speed recording, Revolver and Sgt. Pepper would be dominated by these types of manipulations. We'll take a closer look at Varus speed in a future episode, but rather than simply slowing the tape to half speed, it allowed Martin and the Beatles to reduce or increase tape speeds by smaller increments. Aside from affecting the texture of the sounds, this allowed them to play back a song in one key while achieving effects that could only be rendered in another key. By the time of the White Album and Abbey Road, the Beatles had fully assimilated these techniques, but half-speed recording hadn't vanished entirely. On You Never Give Me Your Money, from the Beatles' last recorded album, Abbey Road, in order to achieve a kind of music hall sound under the out-of-college section, Martin once again overdubbed his part at half-speed. final playback speed. As all artists do, George Martin and the Beatles built on ideas, their own ideas as well as the ideas of others so that they progressively developed their approach to recording throughout their time together. Once Martin demonstrated what could be done in the studio, the Beatles began asking for more. Consequently, his skill in using the recording studio would be pushed to its limit, and he would have to find increasingly creative ways to render the Beatles' ideas to tape.
Thanks for listening. Producing the Beatles is written, directed, edited, and produced by Jason Krupa. That's me. Special thanks to Steve Benson for creating the vocal isolations for In My Life, and to Jesse Reeks for his insight and for playing the In My Life piano solo for us. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at PTBeatles, and for more information, including show notes and references, check out our website, producingthebeatles.com. You can also find our email there if you have questions or comments. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to rate us on iTunes and let your friends know about us. And to make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to us using your favorite podcast platform.